Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's a special Saturday Buckeye Talk. We are in a Zoom with our tech subscribers and we are wrapping up not the Ohio State National Championship game because we kind of covered that, but the season. We got it. We got to talk about this season and everything that happened during this year, this wild year that nobody will forget. We know from corresponding with some texters that people to some degree are maybe ready to move past the Alabama game because I think we kind of have an idea of what happened there. People are looking forward to next year. A lot of interesting questions about this team. We have NFL decisions that players are making right now. We'll lead off with some of that. And then Nathan Baird has come up with a bunch of categories to kind of help us go through this season. What surprised us? What didn't surprise us? What it all meant? We'll have some fun doing that. So thanks to everybody joining us. Stephen Means, as we do this, is covering the end of an Ohio State basketball game. Uh, so he's got two things going on at once. We have a subscriber who is on a chairlift on a ski slope in Utah. So people have things going on. Uh, and it's my uh, my daughter's birthday tomorrow. So I have to go out and try to buy her one more present when this Zoom is over. So, Nathan, let's start here first while Stephen's wrapping up basketball. Thayer Munford coming back, announcing that here on Saturday. And I think when we when the word came out that the NCAA was basically saying this this year does not count against your eligibility at all. And we had a discussion about, well, how much is that really going to matter? How many players are really going to come back for this bonus fifth year if they're good players, right? If you're going to really put off the NFL for a fifth year. Nathan, the idea that Thayer Munford is coming back, I don't know everybody who has said that or not. I think it's very possible that Thayer Munford might end up being the best player in the country that takes advantage of this. That he is a full four-year guy, never redshirted, three-year starter, played really well this year, really well this year. And he's coming back again. This is huge for Ohio State. It fits right in this window of if this wasn't a pandemic year, this would not be an option for him. What do you think of Thayer Munford coming back in 2021? I think it's potentially huge. I mean, just the ramifications it has for the rest of the offensive line and that kind of ripple through the whole offense, potentially when you're talking about a first year starting quarterback, you're talking about potentially true freshmen that are going to have to, to run the ball a lot in, in the fall. Um, I, you know, I talked to a lot of people around there Mumford within the last week and I'll be honest with you. I hadn't really 
I hadn't broached the subject with him because the way they talked about it was that getting his degree was important. And I thought they were talking about him finishing that this spring. I think the thing that maybe I didn't take into account was, and I think this is uh, an open, this is people, something people know about, but that Thayer had to overcome a lot just to even get enrolled at Ohio state. He had had some, um, some learning disabilities that he had to overcome um, and, and went through a lot of work. I'm working on a story that's going to kind of look back on that pretty soon, but just, it was really tough for him to fight to even get to come to Ohio state. And I imagine people probably know this too, that your last year, if you're going off to the NFL draft, a lot of times you're not even in school for the spring. And if you are, you, you're, you're there minimally and you're focused on football, focused on getting ready for the draft. And if he wants to finish this thing off right academically, that may not be an option for him. So that was something I hadn't really considered at the time. But it, within the last few days, we had definitely started to hear the rumblings that this might be the case. I talked to somebody close to him, um, whatever night it was, Wednesday or Thursday night, and they said that it was his decision and the, he hadn't made it yet. But um, by Friday night, it sounded like maybe he had. And then obviously we got the the answer Saturday morning. So the one thing is, I do think, yes, of course, like he is a great player. I mean, he he played as well as any tackle in the Big Ten at the very least this year. And again, we've sort of talked about this on this pod awards are always a little iffy i think awards especially in a weird pandemic year where not many teams anywhere in the country played non-conference games makes it really hard um thayer munford played at sort of an award-worthy level or, or almost like more of a all big 10 all american kind of level than i think some other people around the country or around the big 10 that got credit for it that people maybe didn't understand how good of a player thayer munford was and he had an unbelievable year but I also thought they'd be fine without him. Now, the one thing would be if they lose Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere, now you're kind of trying to figure stuff out. But we all know Paris Johnson is ready to be a starting tackle in the, in the Big Ten. There is zero doubt about that. So we don't know what NPF is going to do. If NPF goes, then you slide Paris in at right tackle. Now you have Munford and Paris. You're great. If you would have had only Paris and both tackles left, like you still have Paris Johnson, you would have figured it out. I think you would have been okay. If, if Nicholas Petit Frere also stays and Thayer Munford is staying, I'm not, you don't have too many tackles, but like they now have three, I think like all Big Ten worthy tackles. And one of them is going to have to play somewhere else. And I guess it's going to be Paris Johnson. So this is like, I agree with you with what you're saying. It really helps. But also Paris was ready. Par- if, 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 right. if, if Thayer Munford left, yeah. Paris Johnson was going to be the left tackle next year. So now what does it mean if Petit Frere also comes back, what are they going to do? Well, that's what I meant by the, the ramifications throughout the offensive line. Because if Nicholas Petit Frere comes back, we just saw that Paris Johnson, they have the confidence in him. Now, he wasn't their first choice to come in and play guard behind when, when Harry Miller couldn't play. But they still trusted him to come in and play there over some other people who were more naturally guards and you assume practiced there more. And he came in and, and played very well in those snaps against Clemson. So I, I, Paris Johnson can come in, I think, play any spot on that offensive line and make that offensive line better next year. I mean, you're right. Even if even if Munford and and Petit Frere both left, I don't think anybody thought it was going to be devastating if Ohio State only had to start Paris Johnson at left tackle and then, I guess, what, Dewan Jones at right tackle or someone else at right tackle. I don't think anybody thought that was going to be a catastrophe. But now establishing, what again, from the grades, if you look at those, if you believe PFF and other places, the – people who graded as well as just about any tackle in the country, not just the big 10 anywhere this, this past year, keep those guys on the ends and now take who, what the guy who might be the most all around talented offensive lineman in your, in your program right now and put him where you need him the most 
um, you can start to see ways where it isn't a huge drop off, even from this season, even though you're losing a, a, a unanimous All-American and a Remington finalist off of your line. We think why Davis hasn't declared, but we assume that's coming. He's going. It's not. I mean, yes. Pat, why, why just Davis just just for accuracy, just for accuracy. No, but we, but there's accuracy and there's real world stuff. Why I'm not I'm not speculating that he's not coming back. I'm just no, but then don't correcting for the record. The caveat: there is no record. Wyatt Davis is gone. Stephen, I know you're watching basketball over your shoulder. Paris has to start next year somewhere, right? Yeah, he's probably going to start at left guard now, if, as long as Nicholas Petit Frere comes back. Which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a good thing because he's awesome and he's going to be great wherever they put him. But to the point of he was your starting left tackle next year. And now he has to spend an, another year playing out of position, kind of like how Michael Jordan had to play center when he was really a guard because you had no choice but to put him there, given what the room was at that time. I don't know if I like it or, or not right now. I, the, the one place it does help you is you just missed on tackles in your recruiting class. And so now, at least for this year, you don't really have to worry about that because you can reset it in 2022 and go get a five-star tackle. And meanwhile, you've got a four-year starter at one tackle spot and a second year five star at the other tackle spot. So at least from that standpoint, it answers that question. So I'm just going to throw out random speaculation without having any knowledge again. I speaking about caveats. Why do I even have to give that caveat? So here's what I'm wondering. So this is a fair month for coming back is great news for everybody, but it is one of these things. Again, you can't pretend when you do something, okay, this year of eligibility doesn't count for anybody, right? Everybody can come back. It does throw stuff off. So Paris Johnson, when he committed to Ohio State, never in a million years thought that like, oh, I might have two starters blocking me for my first two years of college, right? That was never, because it's Thayer Munford's out of eligibility in any other world except the pandemic world. And everybody knows Paris Johnson's next. I don't know. Why do I even, I don't know anything. Are we sure Thayer Munford's the tackle next year and Paris Johnson's the guard? Or could they make Paris Johnson the tackle? And if Thayer, I don't know if Thayer is an NFL tackle. I don't know. Thayer Munford played as well on the offensive line as anybody you could find this year. I don't know exactly what his future is. There are plenty of guys who are tackles in college who become guards in the NFL. Jack Muhort was a tackle at Ohio State. Jack Muhort moved around, but he was a left tackle his last year at Ohio State, wound up at guard. I think it was a second round pick winds up playing guard in the NFL. That happens to a lot of guys. I mean, they're there. Andrew Norwell is a guy who moved around. He's an all pro becomes an all pro as a guard in the NFL. I don't know, Nathan. Could Thayer Munford be the starting left guard last year? And Paris, Paris is a tackle. If we think Paris is Orlando Pace Jr. Paris Johnson is a tackle. Does it maybe add to Thayer's versatility? He's shown what he can do at tackle. Give him a year at guard. It helps everybody. I don't know. I'm just thinking. I think that's the, the thing to remember is it's just options, right? And it's all good options. It's not like head scratcher options where you have to look farther down into this list and say, is someone who hasn't really taken very many snaps and then on top of that wasn't maybe as high regarded of a prospect, is that guy going to step in and make this offensive line better? I mean, yes, I think Paris Johnson in long term in his career in the NFL is probably going to be a left tackle. But I think you bring him to Ohio State, not because you need him to play left tackle, regardless of what the rest of the line is. I think you bring him to Ohio State because it, it, it makes your whole offensive line better. And that's what he can do as soon as this fall. I don't think it necessarily matters which position he plays. I think, it, well, it's important that it's important that they put him yeah. and put Thayer Munford at the place where it, ma- it makes the whole offense better. It might be easy to sell Thayer Munford on the idea of, hey, you might not be an NFL tackle, but if you can show off your versatility, it might help your stock next year. Well, but t- I also I don't think they need to sell him on that more than he I think the easiest sell is to tell Paris Johnson, who seems to be a high character guy who knows that his 
should know that his talent is going to take him where he needs to go anyway, that this year it makes us better to put you at guard. I don't yeah, think that also, is a hard sell for him. I also think it's a great thing to have a guy who might, who was calling Orlando Pace Jr. And Josh Myers just said it'd be a shame if we didn't win an Outland Award, have him play left tackle for two years. I mean, like, it's Paris Johnson. He's like the best tackle they've recruited in a decade. Like, that's like, and and the idea of like, okay, five stars, sorry, but you're only going to be a tackle for one year of your college career. That's like not normal. That's not anybody's plan. So I'm not saying, I'm not going to pretend that like too many good players is a problem. I'm also not going to pretend that Paris Johnson is just some normal guy in the pipeline. Paris Johnson is special. And sometimes special people you you do special things with them. So um, I'm just I'm just wondering if that if that might work. It's it's a very interesting proposition. It is the one thing about this because honestly, I mean, I'm just. It's great for Thayer Munford. Thayer Munford got he's a three year starter. They played eight games and they played for the national championship. It's not like his senior year was ruined. Honestly, it's not like he got s- screwed. Oh, you didn't get to have your last year that you deserved. Here's an extra year of eligibility. I mean, it, it worked out pretty well. He pretty much got to do everything he wanted to do. And now he's going to do it again. And Paris Johnson is like, well, what about what am I supposed to do? So there is an effect. That's all I'm saying about this stuff. The whole pandemic's affecting everybody. I'll be curious how they work it out, but I'm also not going to pretend that too many players is like a bad thing. So I, I don't mean to imply that, but man, Paris is special, man. I mean, we can't, but I, I think I'm saying he's special too which is but, why it might make the offensive line better overall that he's the one that they choose to play guard. But I don't, I think that's, that's for them to figure out over but, the next eight but months. You don't think it's, but you're just very easily just being like, okay, five-star guy who might be the first tackle picked in the NFL draft after three years play guard as a, but you're not going to get to be a tackle until your third year. That's a little weird. That's not usually how, usually how it works with these guys. No, but he's not usually how it works. I mean, he's he's just that special of a talent. I don't think if he comes out and moves to left tackle as a junior and kills it, I don't think it affects his draft stock that he only played one year at left tackle and was maybe the best left tackle in the country if we're really projecting what he could be. And I think it maybe even enhances him to say he also has the versatility to play guard when you're talking about his NFL draft prospect no. status. All right, we're going to disagree on this. Yeah, if he's the left best, if he's the best he's, left tackle in the country, yeah. it's not about versatility. It's about getting two years of snaps yeah. at the position where you're going to be an All Pro in the NFL. But, all right, that, and if he's the best be. left tackle, if he's that good this year, then they'll they have now the flexibility with Munford coming back to put someone else good at guard. Like I don't, we're talking if about he, the same thing. If here. he's that good, he should just be the left tackle, and there Munford should add some versatility to his game. Who's not saying that? I'm just saying that they have that option now. I just think I okay. We're, I guess we're arguing about the same thing. You seem a little little too easily just being like, oh, he's fine. He'll just play guard. He's the young guy. Just slide him at guard. No big deal. Where I'm more on like, he's Paris Johnson. Like, let's be, he's he's rare. He's rare. And I just think he he might deserve that. It's, it's his time. It's Paris Johnson's time. Doesn't mean that they don't want Thayer Munford back or this isn't a great move for Thayer Munford. But all this stuff in college football is slotted for guys to have their time. And you've thrown off the slotting. When you, when, when stuff like this happens, that's all I'm saying. And if I were Paris Johnson right now, maybe Paris Johnson is better than me, but if I were Paris Johnson and being like preparing, okay, I didn't win the job now, but I'm preparing my times next year. And then if it's like, Oh, it's not your time play guard. I, I would be kind of like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? That's what I would be like, but I'm, I'm not as good of a person. Paris Johnson started like a, a Christmas drive for charity. Like he is 10 times better person than I am. The so person not- Paris Johnson is factors into my decision here. Right. And I'm factoring in my, the five-star my, my talent more than anything else. Mm. 
Right. So, but Thayer Munford's a great guy too. I mean, Thayer Munford has done nothing but fight his butt off, battle through a, a bunch of injuries, and then play tackle at an incredibly high level this year. And so here I am saying, I'd bump him the guard. You're out. So, I mean, it's, it is, it's, it's crazy how good they're going to be. They're going to have three awesome tackles next year. If MPF comes back. All right, let's get to uh, Steven. Did the basketball team win? There's two seconds left. So that means there's 47 years left of free throw shooting. It is 86 to 81. Ohio State. They're going to win this game. You know, Okay, yeah. so let's talk about Nathan. I'm going to hand this over to you. I'll shout in between, but you came up with the categories. Explain to the tech. Actually, you know what? Nuts has had his hand, his or her hand up for a long time. Nuts for Bucks, uh, a la Mucha. Go ahead with what you'd like to add here. It's a him, sorry. In the car. In the car, going home from work. Thanks, Doug. Hey, I just wanted to talk about the season in general. Um, just been getting a lot, feels like a lot of negative feedback in the Buckeye community, you know, with, with this loss we just suffered. You know, the way I look at it in a season that wasn't supposed to happen anyway and everything we went through, the fact that we got through a schedule and we're national runner-ups and got the Clemson win, all you know, the Clemson monkey off our back, what can anyone really complain about? I know last week wasn't ideal, but with everything we fought through just to get a season, and again, the, to me, the biggest win was just getting the Clemson monkey off of our backs. I mean, I just feel like out there, you know, the hardcore Buckeye fans, there just seems to be some rumblings that this season was somehow a failure. I'm just not seeing that. No, I, I agree with that. That would encourage anybody in the fan base who is like feeling that to like push back against that. And I think you need to, because as I've kind of mentioned before, I feel like I felt that happen at times in the Ohio state fan base where being the second best cunt team in the country isn't good enough. And I, and I'm thinking back to a time you know, this fall, when I was all on board for the January season, imagine if Ohio State and the way the pandemic has gone, again, the, probably the right call to not try to do the January season. If you were starting a season right now, I don't know where anything would be. But if, if the pandemic had been handled better, the Big Ten had stayed out and the Pac-12 and the Big Ten were starting a season right now. And Alabama had just beaten Clemson for the national title. And you were getting geared up as Ohio State and say everybody stayed, which maybe wouldn't have happened either. But anyway, in my fantasy, that happens and you go through and you get to an end and Ohio State beats Oregon in the Rose Bowl and is awesome. And you never would have found out. You never would have found out. Was Ohio State as good as Bama? Man, I can't believe they didn't get a chance to show it, but you would have gone into history books making the claim. Forever you would have said, oh, if only the Big Ten hadn't been so stupid and not canceled the fall, Ohio State could have had a chance to play Bama for the national title, and you would have had the what if. You don't have the what if. You have the what. Bama beat them. So this is what everybody wanted, because I think I thought the what if might have been interesting. You make your case. It's like back to the old poll days of determining a national champion. We didn't do that. The Big Ten changed its mind. Ohio State fought to make it happen, and they got what they wanted, which is a chance on the field in the national title game, and they weren't good enough. So like you said, nuts, they got 99% of what they wanted. I take that back, 95% because you didn't get the Michigan game. But this is what you wanted and you lost. I mean, I can't, again, if you're going to live in a world where if you don't win the national title, you're negative, man, that's a hard place to be. Nathan, I just hope, I think Nuts makes a good point. I don't have a read on where everybody is as a fan base. We've definitely corresponded with some people who feel very good about how this season went. But Nathan, I hope it's not too negative for people. No, and we've already kind of talked about this too, about how I think this Ohio State team 
you take this and transport it to any other year from the playoff era, except for last year, probably, but there's other years you could take this team up and transplant it and it wins a national championship. It could beat some of those teams head to head. I don't think that just because it didn't, and I know that it was lopsided, so that affects it, but I don't think that devastates everything that happened this year. I think some of it, sometimes you have to give credit to what Alabama did and what Alabama is. And when Alabama hits its peak, it's, it's hard enough to beat Alabama any year. When it hits its peak, sometimes there's just nothing anybody can do about it. You're going to think I'm being disagreeable with you today for no reason. I actually did. You've said that before. I disagree with that. I don't actually know what you're talking about because like, yes, Bama this year, awesome offense, maybe the best Bama team that I agree with LSU. Awesome offense last year, but like, where are the years you think like this team would have beaten Deshaun Watson. I'm trying to figure out like where you think, Oh, if Ohio state, there's a great team every year, Ohio state in 14 was a great team. And actually I think both sides of the ball talent wise and everything. I think the 14 team, Probably as it turns out, even if we didn't realize it in the moment, the 14 team across the board was more talented than this Ohio State team. So I, when you say that, that they just got caught, there's often a great team. So I'm not sure. We, I, I almost feel like this is, could be another postseason podcast. The, the, I think there's a difference between like this Bama team was an all-timer and they beat you and the like, oh, there are other years where this Ohio State team would have been the best team given the defensive deficiencies that you have – been well, mentioning since the start of the right. Year. I think last year's last year's Ohio State team would maybe be a better example of what I'm talking yes. about. But I am just saying that it's more about it's it, it's you put yourself in national championship contention. Not every team in the country can say that. Not even every team that assumes national championship contention or judges themselves by it can say that. Alabama didn't do it last year. So I mean, you're right there. I think it, it's it it would be unfortunate if, if Ohio State fans got to a place where only a national championship is what you judged a team or even an era by. No, and that's, we've got to have that discussion in the offseason because I do think it, it's happened before. It's a tough place to be. The program kind of reset itself, and it's it's one of those things, and it's, it's hard because we've had the discussion with Urban. It's like Urban's great. Urban raised the level of Ohio State. Urban won one national title. You know, Urban, Urban only had one year where they won playoff games. You know, like, I, I, and that's like, it's not, I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying like you have to, the, the context really matters, and I, I think it can be um, – you can wrap yourself in a circle thinking about it. But I hope people are feeling good. I hope the people on this Zoom, I hope the people listening to this, once you extricate yourself from the specifics of the game against Alabama, I think you can have an interesting discussion about where can Ohio State get better, but feel good. The general foundation should be feeling good. We see the other people with your hands up. Hold on one second. Nathan, let's start this because this is what this Zoom is about. Let's start some of these categories um, and, and talk about where we are in, in specifically remembering parts of this year. Yeah, so we, we wanted a, a way to kind of, you know, wrap things up. And we've, we've really enjoyed the surveys. And I think a lot of our texters have, too. So appreciate all of you who participated. We had 446 responses, which I think is, is pretty strong. And it's going to give us some a, a good, like, spectrum of responses here. So um, first question is just kind of a pretty straightforward one, I thought. Um, we had some where we asked you to rank people. And we had some where we just asked you to pick one person. We thought it'd be interesting um, here if we asked you to rank. Who was Ohio State's offensive MVP in 2020 besides Justin Fields, because that's just the, the obvious answer. Um, the candidates were uh, Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, Thayer Munford, Chris Olave, Nicholas Petit-Frere, Jeremy Ruckert, Trey Sermon, and Garrett Wilson. I thought that, that one pretty much covered everything. There was one person that people quibbled I left off the defense. We'll get to that in a second. But for Doug and Steven, um, I guess I won't have you guys rank one through eight because we don't want to do this all day, I guess. But who who's at the top of your list? Who do you think should have been Ohio State's offensive MVP besides Justin Fields for 2020? 
So I do think I was in a place for a lot of the year where I felt like Garrett Wilson um, was special and was rare and was explosive and was a rocket ship and is just so dynamic. But I think now by the end of the year, given how much they seem to miss Chris Olave in the Northwestern game and given that like, you know, Chris Olave just seemed like when he was back showed up, uh, I think I'd say Chris Olave and the other guy that I thought a lot about Trey Sermon is in there, of course. The other guy I thought a lot about is Thayer Munford. I mean, to play that well at left tackle, it's hard to differentiate guys on the offensive line, but nobody would disagree that left tackle is the most important spot. That guy allowed nothing all year. He wiped out practically everybody he blocked all year. And so it's hard to differentiate sometimes but I think beyond behind Justin Fields, I think in his own way of doing his job and how important his job is, Thayer Munford is right in there. But if I actually had to vote, I'd vote Olave. But I might write, I might do Thayer Munford second. Steve. Yeah, yeah, Olave was first for me, but it's hard. It's hard to separate him and Garrett because I think them together is what makes that special. When you take one away from the field, it kind of makes it easier for defenses to scheme for him. Obviously, we only got to see that one way and not the other way, but I just think that's what that was. I said Trey Sermon, and I know he didn't show up until later in the season, but he ridiculously raised their ceiling the moment he started running well. And before that, it was basically going to be the Justin Fields, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson show, which has awesome as it was when your quarterbacks tur- having turnovers and you know and your tur- quarterbacks throwing interceptions and then in the Big Ten Championship game can't complete a pass to save his life. What did you turn to? You turn to the running game again, and all and all of a sudden, your running game starts get, getting going, and Trey Sermon turns into Ezekiel Elliott. So without that, I, I, and then when they lost that in the in the national championship game, it threw everything off. If you still would have had that, I think they would have put up a lot more points in that game. And so it was late, but still, he meant so much the moment he started running the way he was. So he was your number one? Correct. Uh, I also picked Chris Olave. I, I... – we're not going to argue about this one, Doug. Like I, you and I are thinking the exact same way. Like I picked Chris Olave, but I was really close to picking Thayer Mumford just because of, of everything that he meant to this offense. And the winner by a pretty wide margin was Chris Olave. His average score was 1.69. So you can tell he obviously got a lot of number one votes. Um, a little bit closer, though, between two and three. Uh, number two was Trey Sermon. And number three was Garrett Wilson. So, again, I think people probably agreed with Steven. There are a lot of people do that those two guys are pretty close together. Um, and sometimes it can be hard to differentiate, but I agree with Doug that the way that Olave separated late in the season, both in terms of what they looked like without him and then what he did in the, especially in the Clemson game, I, I thought gave him the edge for that. Uh, Thayer Mumford was only fifth on the list and he finished behind Wyatt Davis, even uh, behind Wyatt Davis and ahead of Nicholas Petit Fair. I actually would have ranked Mumford and Petit Fair both ahead of Trey Sermon. And uh, they, again, that's the reason why it's more good news. If both those guys could come back, you're arguably arguably bringing back the two offensive linemen, not not the two most skilled offensive linemen, maybe, but maybe the two who consistently performed the best from this last year and and taking them into 2021. And just real quick, Chris Olave, 201 combined yards in the Clemson and Bama games. Garrett Wilson, 102 combined yards in the Clemson and Bama games. So again, that that's not the end all be all. It's like you know maybe Justin just found Olave better, the routes, whatever. But, I mean, Chris Olave really was there at the end of the year. The the, the full ranking, Y. Davis fourth, Munford fifth, NPF sixth, Josh Myers seventh, Jeremy Ruckert eighth. Uh, moving on to question two. So question two, obviously very linked. Who is the defensive MVP? Now, people quibbled. Here were the nominees. Seven Banks, Tuff Borland, Baron Browning, Jonathan Cooper, 
Haskell Garrett, Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, Tommy Togiai, Sean Wade, and Pete Werner. So basically I left off safety and slot corner. And, and I also didn't put, if I had to do this again, I suppose I would leave off maybe Zach Harrison and put on Justin Hilliard. There were a lot of calls for, for Justin Hilliard to have been a candidate there. And I just thought because of how late in the season he had kind of emerged that maybe that wasn't the right candidate, but obviously the same could have applied to Trey Sermon. So uh, for Doug and if, if Steven, Steven might be working, but if he's available, who were your picks for defensive MVP? So I was going to potentially make a suggestion of nobody, which would be like a silly thing to put in there. I, I get that. Yeah, that's kind of a spoil sport. Yeah. But I almost think it's nobody because I don't know that there's a single player that if you pulled them off this defense, like the defense would fall apart or that putting them on absolutely changed the defense. But I think if I had to pick somebody, it'd be Haskell Garrett. I mean, I think I would pick between the two defensive tackles. You know, I think Pete Werner's good. I think you, you'd maybe put him in there. Nobody in the secondary you really put in. I mean, the one thing about Justin Hilliard is, you know, people, you know, people get excited about Justin Hilliard. He's, he has played very well in spurts. He's still like a part-time guy. He's not a full-time. He was out there splitting snaps with Baron Browning. Um, he had some games that's where this year where he's more of like a situational guy. So he played very well in moments for sure. But I, I think it's pretty clearly to me the tackles, and I would have leaned to Haskell Garrett. And if I was ranking them, I think I would rank Haskell Garrett one, Tommy Togi I two, probably like probably Pete Werner three, and Jonathan Cooper four. That was my exact order. That was gotcha. my exact order. And really, Tommy Togi and Haskell Garrett might be one A and one B. Well, uh, yeah, that was my exact order, though. If there's anybody in the text room that, or the chat room that wants to to say something specifically about these MVP picks, raise your hand, and I'll get to you in a second. Uh, my, my pick was also Haskell Garrett. Um, I see what you're saying, Doug, about how maybe this year it wasn't that nobody – that the defense was so bad that nobody should be MVP, but that there almost wasn't that one person who lifted everybody up or who had completely separated themselves in a way like Chase Young had or, or that sort of thing. Um, but I think you, I, I think I give Garrett credit for being the, the biggest answer. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like they, of all the questions that we had about this defense coming into the season, I think he answered it, that question more completely at his position than we got from say anybody in the secondary or even the defensive ends. I thought he playing the way he did was the thing that, push this above what we maybe thought it, it could have been coming into the season. I also had Togi second and I had Cooper and Warner third and fourth. So just flipped from the way that you had. Um, and our texters thought very similarly. Haskell Garrett was the, the clear winner. 1.71 was his average score. Tommy Togi, 2.40. And then pretty close between Warner and Cooper, 4.07 for Warner, 4.45 for Cooper. Uh, the rest of the list, tough Borland fifth. We're going to come back to that in a second because there's another answer later on that I think is interesting compared to that one. Um, Tough Borland, fifth. Baron Browning, sixth. Tyreek Smith, seventh. Sean Wade, eighth. Seven Banks, ninth. Zach Harrison, tenth. And I think that that, that ranking says a lot to me about where Ohio State's defense ended up this year because if you, we had asked you before the season, where would you rank Sean Wade and Zach Harrison among Ohio State's ten most important defensive players for 2020? Wouldn't they have been one and two? Yeah. And they finish eighth and 10th on this list. And maybe Werner in there. I mean, Werner probably maybe. in there, but yeah. No, I agree. Maybe, but I think just the expectations people have for Zach Harrison, this was kind of supposed to be the year to like step up and like assume this, his, his lineage and like being the next great defensive end. I thought he had a really solid year, but I don't think he got to where people maybe had expected, which isn't, maybe that's unfair to him. I don't know. 
Yeah, uh, one of them is down there because of the way he played, and the other one's down there just because of the amount he was able to play. Like, I think we would have – Zach Harrison had a pretty solid year. He just didn't play a lot of snaps in comparison to the other defensive ends. Although, I mean, I'm going to assume, you know, Larry Johnson and how he does things, if Zach Harrison was, you know, tearing the arms off of offensive tackles in practice every day, he would have played more. So I I take the lack of snaps – not lack of snaps, but just whatever that – into account somehow snaps. the distribution of snaps into somehow my avail my evaluation of that yeah and i'm actually trying to check the 11 warrior snap count which i had up but now it's not loading for some reason they, but I remember, is it out is, it, is the postseason one out yeah because i've been waiting on that i don't think so i think i only had it up through the clemson game they had done one after the clemson game but i remember looking at it last night or when I was putting this list together and he actually, there was a big disparity in week one. He only played like 15 snaps in week one, but after that, it actually evened out a little bit. Jonathan Cooper definitely played the most snaps of anybody. He was on the field more than any other defensive end. There wasn't a huge disparity between Smith and Harrison after that. And I, the fact that Smith didn't play at all in the national championship game, I, I have to look again, again, it wasn't loading for me, but I think it's possible Harrison even jumped up to being the second most or it's right there close. So I, the, the the narrative that the thought that like Zach Harrison was hidden on this team isn't necessarily true. He definitely was farther back in that rotation for the first game. I think after that though, it was more of a it wasn't what we maybe assumed that he would maybe get the most snaps or was a guy that they couldn't afford to take off the field very much, but it was more equitable than I think we think it was. How much of that was because Tyler Friday went down with an injury though? Because you know, Tyler Friday missed three games before he came back for the national championship. I mean, it was, it was evening out. I mean, if you look yeah. at the Indiana game, Zach Harrison had 31, Tyreek Smith had 29, and that all five defensive ends were healthy that game. Just Jonathan Cooper played 51. Um, they really just right. really leaned on Cooper in a way that, I mean, Cooper played well, that probably at least we didn't expect that influenced that. Chuckster's yeah. had his hand up for a while. Chuckster, we'll get to you right now. Go ahead and unmute, fire away. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Going I just on. wanted to go back and, and touch base a little bit about the recap of the season. It was an extremely fulfilling season getting uh, Clemson off our back. And I texted you guys about this. It was just really, really frustrating to see Kerry Coombs get outmaneuvered against Bama. There were too many DBs jogging, chasing guys in motion. And the one guy that you don't want to beat you, the Heisman winner, you let beat you. I would have been totally fine if Najee Harris would have had six scores or Mechie would have had six scores. But you can't let the one guy beat you that you say can't beat you. And we absolutely let that happen. We got out-schemed, and at times our cornerbacks got out-hustled. I I really, really wish Sean Wade was staying back one more year because he needs it. He needs it. I don't know what kind of draft advice that he's getting and and where he's potentially going to be picked. He just did not have a good season at all. And I just – I don't want to lament the fact that, you know, it was a it was a sorry season because we didn't win at all because that's simply not true. Uh, but I just I think we got out schemed and 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 out hustled. All right, Chuckster, thanks for the comment on that. I mean, the one thing I'll say to that is, I know what you're saying, and we talk about it the same way. It's like, hey, that guy won the Heisman. Don't let him beat you. And it's like that guy won the Heisman. And it's not like Ohio State's the first team to come up with the idea of, hey, let's not let him beat us. Everybody else thought the same thing and he beat them anyway. And he won the Heisman. Now he also had 200 receiving yards in one half. So he beat them extra, extra compared to a lot of other teams. I still, I, I mean, I don't know. 
they don't have Jeff Okuda and Marshawn Lattimore. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, like Nathan and I went through this, but again, what we watched, what other people have rewatched, we know there's a lot of scheme questions, but there's just, I, I agree with the people who say, listen, they probably with the, what they wanted to do, they needed to be able to play more cover one, more man and lock these guys up and they didn't have the players to do it. So you wind up in cover three and then Steven, you know, saw Steve Sarkeesian talking about this. He tweeted about it. Other people have mentioned it. Steve Sarkeesian had a coaching thing this offseason about how RPOs, it's so easy to beat cover three with the RPOs. And they killed them with the RPOs. They hit, if you play inside leverage, they hit you with a quick out. If you play outside leverage, they hit you inside on a little slant. Mac Jones is doing it perfectly. They have threats all over the field. I just, I don't think scheme, and I know there are scheme questions. Scheme is not the top of the list. They just didn't have the same guys they usually have. And I think sometimes they acted like it with this scheme, right? But man, I mean, they just don't have a guy who can cover Devontae Smith. And in the past, they have. Does. I mean, but but like nobody usually does. But you nobody know, did this year. You know who could? Marshawn Lattimore. Yeah. Jeff I Okuda. saw Marsh- would, It would have been awesome to see him match up with Jeff Okuda. Jeff like, Oku- oh, yeah, Jeff Okuda could have. Ohio State over the years has had as many of those guys as anybody in the country. DBU, right? I mean, I would, I would give Bradley Roby a shot out there. See what you got, man. You know, I give, I'm not as, I was never as high on Eli Apple. He's 10th pick in the draft. Let's see what Eli Apple's got. They don't have a cornerback who was out there in that game. This could be the 10th pick in the draft. They just didn't have the guy this year. So um, Nathan, go ahead. What you want to say on that? Well, and, and I was actually going to pick up the next point that Chuckster was making, which is about Sean Wade, which is I, a lot of people are, are kind of saying this. I was getting a lot of texts and, and tweets back at me yesterday about how, man, this is a mistake. He needs to come back. I would remind people of a couple of things. Number one, he wasn't a, a, a true junior. He was a redshirt junior. He's been here for four years. He's he's finished his degree. And I, I think that sometimes people are just ready to move on with their life. And he already kind of was at that place months ago and was kind of talked himself into coming back to go for a national championship. And they gave that their best shot and uh, it didn't happen. And I think the other thing people are starting to kind of realize too, is that part of that draft feedback he might be getting back is we're not looking at you as an outside corner in the NFL. So, and there may not be anything he could come back next year and do to prove that. So if he is going to be a strong safety, if he's going to be a nickel guy, if he's going to be a slot guy at the next level, then he might as well go now. He, he's got good film on those sorts of things. I, I think he has proven himself to be a good football player in some ways, but just because he didn't do especially well in that outside role, I don't think completely capsizes what he can be as an NFL prospect. And I think sometimes when we talk about the draft, we, we talk about it in a way that, oh, if you come back, you're automatically going to get better. And like right, coming which, back mm-hmm. automatically means you get better and your draft stock goes up. And it's like, that's not necessarily true. I mean, like when you've been here a long time and you've played a lot, I mean, I don't know what is the magical formula other than if you think he should come back and go back inside and play the slot, which he's already done and done well. I don't know what, you know, what the, what the magic formula, I mean, he's, he's the player that he is, which is a good player, but I don't know that he's going to make himself into a top 10 draft pick with a fifth year of college football. I just don't think that's where it is. And there's some mock drafts out there where he's still a first rounder. He's just, in the 15th, I mean, AJ, AJ Terrell got picked apart by Jamar Chase in the national championship game last year, and he still went in the first round. John Wade just got picked apart by the best wide receiver in the country, and so he might still be a first rounder. He just, to that point, might not be playing outside corner at the next level. And again, some of the biggest plays that Alabama pulled off, even with um, Devontae Smith, had nothing to do with Sean Wade. 
Sean had a play where he had man coverage on Devontae Smith, did not touch him coming off the line, yep. gave him a free release and got yeah. beat deep, and then was trailing in a way that didn't look like he was catching up at all. And I think that that play hurts, and people remember that play. They have that in their head. And that's not scheme. I mean, that's like, all right, here's the guy you want. You, you didn't even get a finger on him coming off the line. Now, again, it's the Heisman winner, but you didn't you didn't touch him. Free release beaten. So it is what it is. He's not coming back, and they've got to figure out how they can raise the corner play um, next year and in the future. Quick break. We'll be right back with more. Nathan Baird, season wrap-up, texture, survey, categories, next on Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk, Stephen, did the basketball team win? They did, 87 to 81. All right, people, Stephen, for the for the tech subscribers, for those who aren't in the tech subscription, uh, and we are, we're peeling off tech subscribers, you know, day by day. We get it. The people who tried it for free and are like, I don't want to do it in the off season. Uh, we totally understand that. And anybody who tried it and is not there now, we really appreciate you guys giving it a shot because it's sort of hard to wrap your head around what it is sometimes until you try it. For the people who still are hanging in, Stephen just did a thing the other day. We understand that not every tech subscriber, it really is an Ohio State football tech subscription. But we know there are many people who also are very interested in basketball. And what Stephen was doing the other day is a quick thing where he said, hey, if you have any questions about basketball, shoot them at, my, shoot them at me. And I will respond to you individually. So that way, if you don't really want the basketball text, they're not popping up in the text for everybody. But if you want some insight and analysis from a guy who is now moving to that and putting his energy in the cover of the basketball team, Steven is there to do that. So that's an option for people out there. If, you know, it's off season for football, it's not off season for basketball. So we're going to keep texting everybody about football stuff. And we're going to, if you want it, there's going to be basketball options in there too. And then some people have asked for basketball podcasts. I'm sure we'll figure that out. Have some basketball episodes. Steven, take 30 seconds here to explain. Nope, no, he's in uh, the middle of something. His, uh, he's so busy covering basketball. He doesn't have time to talk about basketball. <laughs> that's how dedicated he is to this beat. So that's what we're offering you in the tech subscription if you want it, 614-350-3315. Matthew Williamson. Oh, I'm not supposed to say the last names because then like, I don't know why, but we're just trying to keep it light. Like Matthew from uh, from Lima or whatever. Like, you know, like you just talk the radio, they just say like a, uh, you know, so they don't know who you are. Matthew, pretend they didn't say your last name. Um, go ahead. Fire away with your question. Hey, uh, thanks, Doug. I keep screwing this up, apparently. Cause you uh, you call me M-A-J, which is my rank, not my name, so I keep screwing it up. Uh, I, I just kind of think uh, at some point we, we kind of need to lean into the, the discontent uh, from the performance in Alabama, but uh, your, your logic and reason is completely sound, but Ohio State fans are rarely logical and reasonable, and I, I think part of that is what drives Ohio State to – you know, to have such a, a priority for its football team is that no one's really accepting of, of those struggles. I, and I, I would just say, generally speaking, when you look at how Indiana matched up against Ohio State, right, that kind of uh, chaotic, unpredictable defense, I think uh, some degree of our frustration is not that we had the personnel to match up with Alabama, but that we, we, we didn't, we didn't, uh, really make them respond to what we were doing very well. Just, uh, just your thoughts. Thanks. 
No, thank you, Matthew. I mean, I think there's, I think there is something to that, and I think the main thing that that, and and when Nathan and I wrote about this and talked about it the other day, there's a discussion of is it good enough? No. Are people going to lose their jobs about over it? No, we don't think so. We don't think that's where they are. Do they need to adjust some things? Yes, I think they need to adjust some things, and I think they will. I think they'll have a fuller off season to do that. But I do think it's one of those, and it often is the thing that happens with Ohio State when you get to this level. It's Every week of the Big Ten season, you have better talent. So you kind of line up and do your thing and say, beat us. We have better talent. Come beat us. And then you get to the equal talent games. And what do you do? It was all I wrote and talked about in the Trestle era. That's all that it was about. I mean, 2002 was a miracle, and I didn't cover that. But then the rest of that Trestle era was you have the better talent in the Big Ten, but what do you do when it's equal talent or even when you have lesser talent? Now, you're not just an underdog in your head. You're an underdog on the field because Alabama's got more dudes than you. Do you have the things where you can throw in some wrinkles and do something different? I agree that, yes, there is a way where they probably need to be able to do that better. I think they might even have to change their base defense and go to more too high safety during the season to be ready for it. But I get why they didn't do it now. So that's the main thing, Nathan. It's not that I, I don't disagree with Matthew. I would just say I would not let that override your main thinking. But I'll tell you, again, as we said, when we talk to Kerry Combs, when we get into next season, I think it's where we go with our questions about the program. How do you match up defensively at the highest level? How does your personnel get better? How does your game plan get better at the highest level? But I get why it wasn't better in this game. That, I think, is where I am, Nathan. It's not that I thought it was good. I understand, though, why it wasn't better. No, I mean, both those things can be true. I do think, though, it's worth bringing up. I can't remember if it was you or someone else who threw out the BIA thing here. And that's something that is a big part of this team's this program's brand, right? This is where you come and, and annually you have great defensive backs. Well, they weren't – I don't think they lived up to that BIA status by any means in 2020. And that's a weird thing to say when a team does get to the national championship. But they were not there in 2020. And – it's hard to project them being there in 2021. So how many years can you have that lull and still try to claim that? I think that's a big challenge for this off season is do you have the guys on this roster right now? And can you coach them up by August to get them back to playing at that level that I think people respect Ohio state secondary again? Cause I don't think people did in 2020. I think two things might help this team out next year, as far as playing maybe two more, two safety looks than just a single high safety one that Minnesota game early in the season, just because of, you know, what P.J. Fleck does with that offense, but then also playing Oregon with Tyler Shue and that offense as well. And then Indiana, we've seen it with Michael Penix now that they do. It's it's easier to maybe do it when you're going to play a team who might force you to play that scheme where most of the Big Ten, you can get away with not doing it because they're not going to beat you downfield. With those three games, I think there's opportunities to get in-season reps so you're not just throwing it out there once you get to the playoff. But I think you just need to decide to do it because the whole thing is that's what most people play. The single high look is unusual. So they're weird in doing it. And it's like, why are you doing it? Well, you're doing it because you want to stop the run in the Big Ten. That's not what the focus is anymore or ever should have been maybe. So I, th- I think there are things to ask there. The hard thing, and again, I don't want to get bogged down in this because I want us to be able to get through the categories, but this is the kind of stuff we'll keep talking about all offseason. Why is there a lull in BIA right now from a talent standpoint or a development standpoint? Why is there a lull? Recruiting. Tabor Johnson, why did the Alex recruiting Grinch. go down? Why did Tabor. the recruiting go down? Kerry Combs left. And t- because, Kerry, because the guy that we're now hanging it on mm-hmm. left. And when they replaced him, they didn't do it as well. So now he is dealing with the talent run caused by his own departure. The talent lull, I mean. So now we're going to like 
hang it on Kerry Combs that their guys aren't as good when he wasn't here recruiting or developing Tyreek Johnson the way, the way that Tyreek Johnson would have been developed maybe if, if Combs had been here the whole time. So that is the very – it's weird. How often does this happen where a guy leaves and comes back to a program? That is the hard part about this, that he is sort of having to deal with the lack of something that there wasn't a lack of when he was here before. So I think you've got to give him a chance. And there's a difference between being a coordinator and a position coach. I get that. We're mm-hmm. going to talk about it for three months. Let's get back to the categories. Nathan, what's next? Next up is who's the most underrated Buckeye in 2020, um, which was a, a suggestion from Steven. This wasn't completely designed by me. It was collaborative. It was, I guess, my idea in the beginning. But this was one that he suggested, and I thought it was a good one. So I, I came up with some names for this. Most underrated Buckeye. The candidates are Seven Banks, Tough Borland, Baron Browning, Thayer Munford, NPF, Jeremy Ruckert, Tyreek Smith, Tommy Togiai, Pete Werner, or someone else. We had it left the option for a, essentially a write-in vote. Uh, and this ended up being really close. The winner of this was separated by 1%. Four votes out of 444 now separated the, the answer to this. Who did you guys vote as your most underrated Buckeye in 2020? Jeremy Rucker was my number one, followed closely by Tyreek Smith and then Thayer Munford, which is why Thayer Munford wasn't, you know, my number one in another category. I just think Jeremy Rucker, even he didn't get a lot. He only had 13 catches, but some of those were big time catches. And also his improvement as a blocker going back and rewatching some of his games is just night and day to this point in his career. Uh, in some of the ways that they relied on tight ends in some of these games, he showed up big and really just being that third option as a, as their receiver, but also his blocking was just special. And it opened up some things in the run game that weren't there early on in the season. And also Tyree Smith continued to develop as the season went on. I think you really started to notice him later on in the year before he obviously had to sit out the championship game. So I would vote for the guy who I think should be the starting left guard next year. And that's Thayer Munford. He's so underrated that I'm stealing his job from him. <laughs> After three years as a starter, listen, like the one thing I would disagree on record because I think we talked about all year, how underrated record was, you know what I mean? It's like, he's so good. They don't use him. Why don't they use him? He's so yeah. good. And like, we just don't talk about Thayer Munford. So part of it's the position. I get it. Part of, I just think, I just think to me, it's clearly Thayer Munford. He was elite and he just did it. And if, and if we just, I don't know if Paris Johnson had the year that Thayer Munford had, uh, we'd be going crazy, I think, because like he's a five star and, you know, whatever. So guy's a three year starter. He's going to wind up as a four year starter at Ohio State. And he was awesome. I think it's to me, it's definitely fair Munford. So it, it's interesting. It depends a little bit on what you mean by underrated, because what's someone who's underrated on the Buckeye Talk podcast means would mean something because we talk every day five days a week, and we're talking about everybody on this team. So if you really slip through the cracks with us, then you, you're really getting overlooked. And I, 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 that's where I guess you could make the case for Munford because I think we mentioned the offensive line, how good it had played or how good the tackles had played in passing. It was never a big topic of conversation. I was thinking more from a national level. Who on this team probably deserved more acclaim, more recognition than they got nationally? And so the guy I voted for was Tommy Togiai. And our texters had a really tough decision to make between, and like I said, it was separated by four votes. Togiai finished second. Nicholas Petit Frere won this 94 to 90 as the, the most underrated Buckeye in 2020. And I think a lot of what you're saying about Thayer Mumford also applies to Nicholas Petit Frere. I understand the Tommy Togiai thing, but a lot of that came in one game. And so. Disagree. 
He strong, had, strong, all strong three, position. all his stats came. The, the three the stat, sacks came in came, one game. He had seven tackles in, in that Penn State game and three tackles for loss in that one game. So the 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 his best game was the second game of the year. No stats. I mean the stats. Yeah, stats. Yeah, from a stats, yeah, from asking, a stats, yeah, stats, from a stats standpoint, yeah. his best game was the second game of the year. Which is why he ended up being underrated because the impact I thought was consistent, whether the stats were there yeah. or not. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with all those. I think they're, I think they have multiple, they're multiple people that uh, I think there was a disconnect a little bit this year between like the guys who got the awards and the guys who were really good players and didn't get that much attention. I just think people nationally kind of had a bad read on this team at times this year. Uh, but I think there's, there's multiple guys who, who were worth voting for on this. So I looked down to the, um, I'll go ahead and read the list. Pete Werner was third, uh, Jamie Ruckert fourth, Thayer Munford fifth. The other ended up finishing sixth. I'll, I'll explain that in a little bit. Seven banks, seventh. Tough Borland eighth, Tyreek Smith ninth, Baron Browning tenth, Zach Harrison eleventh. The the other responses we got a lot of responses for two guys, and it doesn't tally them up, but I can just tell you by looking through here. Uh, Haskell Garrett got a lot of mentions, and I didn't include him because there were you know offshoot All American teams that were picking Haskell Garrett to be like first or second team All American. I thought the recognition was there actually for the season that he had. I thought it was. I understand why people might still put him on that list. But I wasn't leaving him off because I didn't think he had a big impact. I, I left him off because I thought maybe he didn't get that overlooked. I thought maybe he was recognized. And, and then the other guy I mentioned before, Justin Hilliard. A lot of people brought up Justin Hilliard to the point at which they said uh, – somebody even said I would have put him in the top five for defensive MVP. And there were other people texting back at me kind of saying the same thing. Like I would have made him the number one defensive MVP, but he would have been on my list like third or fourth. And I didn't put him on this list. I guess he, I probably should have, but he was a guy that like wasn't a starter to start the year. And even at the end of the year, it was kind of a part-time starting situation, but I, I definitely, I mean, I wrote about it multiple times. Like the impact he made at the end of the season was kind of undeniable. I mean, there, you can question whether Ohio state wins a Northwestern game without the impact that Justin Hilliard made on defense in that game. So I, I totally think that, that that definitely was one that I probably screwed up and, and he should have been on the list. So one thing is, is it possible that if you win the balloting for most underrated player, it disqualifies you from being the most underrated player? That's that what getting, it is, yeah. That like, yeah. I almost am agreeing with Steven because Tyreek Smith finished 10th. And it's like, okay, well, maybe Tyreek Smith is actually the right answer to this. I actually, I am not disparaging Justin Hilliard's performance at all. He's an unbelievable story and he played really well. I think it's possible we have reached the point with Justin Hilliard where people think he's so underrated, he's overrated. That like, I, like he's still, I mean, I get it. He didn't, he didn't play the first game of the year because of the weird COVID thing with the test where he didn't really have it or whatever. But I mean, this was still a guy who for much of the year, I mean, it's like, he's kind of sharing a job with Browning and, and he shared a job with Browning in the national championship game and, and he made some good plays. But um, I think like we actually talk a lot about Justin Hilliard. Like I really like nobody. I don't know that there's anybody who, who follows Ohio state. And it's not national. I mean, Ohio state, no, nobody nationally is going to be like, Oh, did you hear about Ohio state's part-time starter and outside linebacker? Who's really good. But I feel like Justin Hilliard got a lot of attention this year. Yeah. And so I, I would not go there with an underrated vote. I, I think at some point, Every time he made a play, you bring up the story of the injuries. And at that some point, it's applaudable that he's come back from that. But after a while, it's, we get it. Yes. Now you're just out here. You're playing a role and you're doing your job. Yeah, it was it, he had been mentioned so much as an X factor consistently that I thought maybe um, that was why he didn't warrant inclusion in that category. Steven was kind of meaner about that. Steven kind of took the meaner kind of way of saying that that I usually take. Because Steven kind of was like, Steven basically just said, I'm sick of hearing about Justin Hilliard, okay? 
I mean, that's really where Stephen was coming from on that. And I just want people to note the transformation of Stephen Means as he gets more comfortable on this beat, how he's getting meaner. He's getting to be Stephen mean Meaner. I've never, yeah. you I've said never it. heard you, that joke you before. You just said, I'm sick of Justin Hilliard. You said that. It came that's out of your mouth. I said. I said, I'm sick of that narrative of, oh, my God, look how many injuries he overcame. Congratulations. I'm glad that you are finally healthy enough to play football. But now that you're playing football, let's talk about you as a football player. And not every time you make a tackle, it's, hey, guys, remember, he had all those injuries. Stephen Means said that. Man, Just that again, was, I don't want people to get confused. Stuff right there, that man. sounds so much like me. Man, he's, he's, he's really coming along. Okay. Wow. I just make it clear. Uh, he sounds so proud of me being mean. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> This this uh, this next category was the toughest one to come up with candidates. It was most memorable play, and we asked you to rank them. You know, we I, I came up with a couple. I sent it around to these guys, and then they added a couple. But we this wasn't because there were less games. There weren't we didn't think as many like memorable plays, and there weren't as many like close games either. So that made it a little bit harder. Uh, the candidates were I think these are chronological order: uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba's toe tap touchdown catch in the back of the end zone against Nebraska. Chris Olave's 49-yard deep ball TD catch against Penn State. I think Doug put that one on there. I think it's the one he kind of made with, like, his fingertips as he's sort of stumbling towards the end zone down the sideline. Sean Wade's pick six against Indiana. Justin Fields chasing down Trey Sermon from behind on the touchdown run at Michigan State. Trey Sermon's 65-yard run against Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game. That one kind of just stands out as maybe the most memorable run of a game that had a bunch of them because that's how you get 331 yards. Uh, Justin Fields taking the targeting hit against Clemson, uh, leaving, getting shot up, coming back in, throwing a TD pass. Uh, Chris Olave's 56-yard touchdown reception against Clemson to put him up 42-21. And then the Baron Browning strip sack against Alabama. What won your vote, Doug and Steven, for this particular category? So I agree with the idea of it. It was harder to come up with some of these. I would have voted for the Olave touchdown, 56-yard touchdown class against Clemson because it was the culmination to me of – Justin Fields had he's thrown he's thrown six touchdowns in this game. It's like the dagger on Clemson in this revenge game, and it's an encapsulation of what this team is. And it's Chris Olave. It's a similar enough play to breaking off the route at the end of the last. And it's like it's a perfect route. It's a perfect throw. It's the right decision. And it was everything that Ohio State wanted. It wasn't, I mean, he didn't catch it between his legs. It wasn't like Justin evaded six sack attempts before he got it off. It was just the perfect execution of what this team is. But when I think about, again, all the years you would ask a question like this, and it's like, oh, it's the Anthony Gonzalez helicopter catch against Michigan, you know, or it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's the Braxton Miller, you know, like sidestep touchdown, unbelievable thing against Penn State, or just all it's the Braxton Miller scramble deep ball to Devin Smith in 2011 to beat Wisconsin. Like all the years, this is where Nathan, like the year, this is a bad year for this. There are most years when it's like, oh my yep. gosh, there were a million plays that you'll never forget. And I don't know that there was a single unforgettable play, but I thought that Clemson touchdown sort of said, you know, described this season best. Yeah, and I think that the weird thing about this year is the second thing you said, that it's not that there weren't like, oh, we could have a candidate from every game. It's like there should be like one enduring, like no doubt play from a year that you make it to the national championship game. There should be like the one play that like, oh, well, nobody's ever going to forget that, right? Uh, you know, they'll be talking about that for a generation. And I don't really know that that happened this year. Stephen, what was your pick? 
the Chris Olave 56 yard touchdown. I think that Jackson Smith, the Jigba one might just be shown all the time because it was so cool and it was his first first touchdown catch ever. But that that 56 yard touchdown pass is, I think, had they won the national championship, I think you could. It's this year's equivalent to what 85 yards to the heart of the South was because of the narrative behind it, because of the two people who were involved in it, the way it basically finished off Clemson. It was an awesome throw. That might be the best throw Justin Fields has thrown here, honestly. Just the accuracy of it, how deep it was, the everything about it. But when you think about what the last 12 months have been, thinking about that Clemson team and Justin Fields and Chris Olave, and the fact that those are the two that finished them off after both having very good games, one having an historically great game and Chris Olave missing the Big Ten championship game, the world clearly seeing that they need him on the field and then him coming back and showing exactly why they need him on the field. All of these things, when you put it into perspective, if they would have won on Monday, this is, I think, you. it's probably worth a podcast discussion of which is a bigger play in Ohio State football history between the 56-yard catch and the 85 yards through the heart of the South. I mean, I so, do think that the, 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 the Zeke run, sort of the game still felt like, okay, it might be in the balance here. Mm-hmm. Like the Clemson game, I don't know that anybody felt that at the moment, but both were daggers. Both were daggers about them overcoming a th- something and winning as an underdog in a semifinal. But everything you said about that, it was Fields and Olave, Stephen. I really, it really does add to it. I think it's a, I think it is the way you explained it, Stephen, makes it clear to me. Like, I think it's kind of the obvious number one. Quick reminder if you have uh, something you want to add, uh, use the raised hand function and we can uh, include you here as we're having our discussion. I picked, so I think you could have, I think the one that's going to actually live the most in some ways might be the Jackson Smith and Jigba toe tap because he's going to, I think, set himself up for having a pretty strong career here these next two, three, four years, how much long he has. And I think that's going to get referenced a lot. So just because of that, I think it's going to come up the most maybe in the next few years, as far as like individual plays. Um, I I think you also could have made a, an argument for the Trey Sermon run. Not that it was the most important run of that game because it wasn't even a touchdown run, but it just, it exemplified him, like him reaching his moment and that team, finding a way through adversity in that game and just a lot of things coming together to get them into the playoff again. And then things happening from there. I actually picked, I thought it was a tough call. I picked the Justin Fields taking the targeting hit and then coming back in and throwing a TD pass. That's, that's actually a lot of moments that all go together. I just feel like Justin Fields legacy here. A lot of it is wrapped up in that play Uh, the, the toughness that he showed. And then combining that with, just that top end ability. It was like, you're taking sort of the scrappiness that you expect from a quarterback. Like, I don't mean, I don't know, like a Craig Krenzel or someone that like those gritty guys and then matching it with that dual threat, like elite talent. And you got to have that with Justin Fields for these two years. And that, that play sort of exemplified that to me, it was it, that, that game, but you could, you could just easily say it about the Alave touchdown, but that that was the height of that team for that year. And it all kind of came down to that moment. My only argument against that would be you've done that before. And the other one was better. Yeah, because it was the Michigan game. And it was Michigan, on the road. And it was more dramatic. It was more instantaneous. Yeah. It's like out of the 10, yeah. onto the field, touchdown. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see that. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I was just voting based on this year. I, I see what you're saying, though. Where are we? Do we need to take a break or do you want to get through a couple more categories? Let's go a couple more. Okay. Uh, this was, I thought, these next two actually are, were, I think, really fun. And I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what our, our listeners have to say about this. But it was a guy you were most wrong about in 2020. And the guy you were most right about in 2020. So thinking back to how you thought of these players before the season, who did you end up being more right about and who did you end up being more wrong about? 
And that could be positive or negative. So here were the, the candidates for guy you were most wrong about. Tuff Borland, Jonathan Cooper, Thayer Munford, Nicholas Petit Frere, Trey Sermon, Master Teague, Sean Wade, Pete Werner, and then we left open the write-in vote. Who did you guys say you were most wrong about for 2020? Go ahead, Doug. You can go first. Oh, you know what? I didn't pick. I didn't tell who won the uh, memorable plays. Oh, that's right. Go ahead. Uh, the one that I picked, Justin Fields taking the targeting hit, barely beat out the Chris Olave touchdown. It was 2.52 to 2.71. So those were the two. And then Trey Sermon's run was third. Jackson Smith toe tap was fourth. Those were close. And then everything else was pretty divided. Sorry about that. Buckeye, you're most wrong about. So I don't want to. I don't want to give everything away, but for Buckeye you were most wrong about and Buckeye you were most right about my answer is the same guy because there's a guy that I was right about for four games and I was wrong about for the last three games so I was wrong about being dismissive of Trey Sermon in the offseason and then Late season, 331-yard flying karate chop Trey Sermon, I did not know existed. So I was wrong about that. That's a very good way to put it. I was wrong about – I mean, I think we were all wrong about Trey Sermon, but I was – I specifically was wrong about Jonathan Cooper and the way he would be used. And we talked about – I asked Larry Johnson, and I wrote about this defensive line, the rotation mirroring what they did in 2017 where they used five guys. And I – basically thought Jonathan Cooper was the fifth guy in that and the guy who would get the least amount of snaps and have the least amount of impact. Well, he ended up being the guy with the most amount of snaps and having the biggest impact on this team. I said that Zach Harrison would become, would be in the Nick Bosa line where his, their first year stats kind of mirror each other. And then he would take off from there and that didn't necessarily happen. So uh, Jonathan, uh, Trey Sermon, obviously, but for me specifically, it's Jonathan Cooper, just because he was used the complete opposite way that I thought he would. So I also picked Jonathan Cooper, and it was because I was just too dismissive of his impact. I thought he would do more like what he had done, not so much in 2019, because obviously the injuries just screwed everything up. But 2018, he was like an honorable mention, all Big Ten guy. I thought he might come back and have that kind of a season, like, you know, a, a respected season, um, a guy who was in the mix and just was provided some stability. I did not anticipate him being – I mean, you could argue that he was their defensive MVP. I wouldn't have picked him for that, but I think someone could have made that pick and said he was consistently the best player on that defense, and you could have plausibly made that argument this year. So I was way off on just what his impact would be, but he only finished fifth among our text voters. He only got 4%, and really 79% of this vote was split between two guys. There were really only two candidates as our texters saw it. Trey Sermon finished second. He got 150 out of 444 votes, so 34%. The Buckeye that our texter said they were most wrong about in 2020 was Sean Wade. And that's why that's where it comes back to. It could be a positive or a negative. I think they were wrong about we all felt like we were wrong about Trey Sermon in a way that ended up being positive for Ohio State this year. And I feel like the opposite probably is how people feel about Sean Wade. And, and that's that's ultimately plays into, I think, what the ceiling of this defense was this year. I, I don't think we have to talk about that because we've talked about it 4000 times and we all understand why he won. Um, so the Buckeye that we were most right about in 2020. So either the guy that you uh, doubted before the year and that came true or the guy that you were sticking up for and they ended up coming through uh, candidates, seven banks, Jonathan Cooper, again, Bayer Munford, Nicholas Petit Frere, Trey Sermon, Master Teague, Pete Werner, Garrett Wilson, or the right in vote. 
uh, the write-in vote on the other one did not get um, – actually, there were 22s, but everybody didn't get very many votes after those top two. Uh, who did you guys say you were the most right about? Doug, you already said yours was, again, Trey Sermon, the guy that you um, were right about what he was the first half of the season. Stephen, who did you pick as the Buckeye you were most right about in 2020? Garrett Wilson, and I was so right about him. Not even The production is what it is. He's a five-star kid, obviously. He started producing as a sophomore. It's the way they used him. And what that him moving to the slot meant, it meant a progression in how they use wide receivers here. It's no longer you're an outside receiver and you're a slot receiver. It's like, no, if you can play both, you're going to play both. And we're going to move you all over the field and find different ways to get mismatches on you. And then we're going to exploit those things. And we saw that this year, literally from the opening drive, where at first it was J-Mo, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson out there. And then they went 12 personnel and just threw Garrett Wilson outside. And we're going to see that even go to another level next year. Now that Garrett Wilson's going to be the number one receiver, but just seeing what that, what him moving to the slot meant and assuming it was going to happen without really being able to talk to anybody for six months and then seeing it play out on the field. I mean, come on, man. Garrett's awesome. Okay. All right. I mean, like, but it's not, I mean, you picked the five star to be great. So the other thing not is, the, I, I said, not, I said not the production. I said the way he was used. Yeah, but but the other thing is, when you go twelve personnel, there is no slot. So it's not. I mean, it's not like they're going to take him off the field. So when you go twelve, there's only two receivers on the field, and they didn't do it as much in the past because when they had a slot guy who couldn't move around, they didn't do it as much. I do. Th- it's not like he's going to like X and Z and then back to slot and all over the place. When they put Jackson Smith and Jigba out there, they also would move him back outside. As well, it's you know they just moved him all over the place. He wasn't, it wasn't a situation where it was like KJ Hill, you're gonna play in the slot, and that's where you're gonna play at. True, but I I will be curious to see how they use him next year and whether he goes back outside and then truly is is like you're like in the Chris Olave spot on some snaps, isolated mm-hmm. on one side, then maybe you're in the slot on another snap. That like I, I wonder if he'll be literally from snap to snap, you will have no idea mm-hmm. what he's doing. But they certainly took what we had seen from the quote slot receiver position in like the urban era and year one of Ryan. And they they definitely took that to the next level. I think because they wanted to, but also because they had the perfect vessel to do it um in Garrett Wilson. But I'm just I mean, I'm gonna give you not full credit for the obvious thing. Cause it's not like the, the, now the other thing about being right is, was there anybody who was like disagreeing with you? Was there anybody who was like, no, 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 not Garrett Wilson. He's not going to be very good. They're not going to use him all over the place. I yeah, think the, the one, the entirety we, of the fan base was salivating as soon as they said that they were going to move Garrett Wilson to the slot this year. I think. Right. But I don't think they were looking, they were looking at it just more. He would just get more catches because slot receivers tend to get more catches. Not necessarily. They would just move him all over the place, but also I, when you look I, at it from also the recruiting standpoint of it, they're, he's now the template for what they're looking for in a wide receiver and recruiting. Cause I mean, Caleb Burton looks just like him. Emeka Ibuka looks just like him and build and everything. I did. I would disagree with the phrasing. They move him all over the place. That's what I mostly disagree with. That I mean, he's the slot guy, and they keep him on the field when they go twelve. So, so I, we get it. I voted for Nicholas Petit Frere. I was, if you guys remember back months ago, that was the guy that I picked for uh, the guy I'm driving the bus for, or however we stated it at the time. And that obviously hit big time. Like I bought stock at Nicholas Petit Frere at a good time, and um, I can cash it out now and uh, go on a 
fancy vacation or something like that, except I can't because of COVID. Uh, but the, the texters uh, agreed with Steven. Garrett Wilson was the easy winner. 48% of the vote went to Garrett Wilson. Nobody had more than 13%. Pete Werner finished second. Jonathan Cooper third. Master Teague fourth. Nicholas Petit Frere fifth. So runaway winner for Garrett Wilson. There was just, I think it was, I think maybe it's more that people thought he would be great and it turned out he was great more than they thought he would play, if you know what I mean. I, I do. I mean, there were times when we were talking about Jonathan Cooper before the season, there were definitely texters who were mad at us and thought mm-hmm. we were so wrong on him mm-hmm. and that he was going to be awesome. So I'm sure there are some of those texters who voted for Jonathan Cooper saying the ding dongs on this podcast didn't know their butts from their elbows about Jonathan Cooper. And I was on it from the get go. And that is one, as we already acknowledged, but I mean, I know not only were we wrong, there were some people who were like really right in what they texted to us in the off season. Yeah, the, if you combined the the Trey Sermon and Master Teague vote, you'd get um, a, a decent percentage. You'd be up around 12%, 13% of the vote. So um, the, the people who were skeptical about the running game, depending on how you look at it, for part of the year, both those guys stepped up and, and got it done. So um, I want to go to a couple of our oh, – we just had somebody drop out. Todd from Michigan, uh, go ahead. I will unmute you, I believe. Go ahead. Uh, Doug, I think you might have just hinted at my question. Um, Olave leaves. Um, does Garrett Wilson go back to the outside with Jamison Williams and uh, JSN as the slot receiver next year? I mean, I think it's a great question. My guess is probably no, because I think Julian Fleming probably mm-hmm. slides right into that Chris Olave spot pretty easily, as he did in the Big Ten championship game. And I think as we always have this discussions is partly about who you are and partly about what the team needs, which is where we were with Thayer Munford and Paris Johnson. That makes the most sense to me, Stephen. And if it doesn't go that way, I think it's a real indication of they're just really trying to, to use Garrett and get Garrett in mismatches and drive defenses crazy. And I know we've talked about the idea of Garrett moving outside, but if I had to guess right now, Stephen, I think my guess is, kind of like it was this year and just Julian Fleming in the Chris Olave role next year. Yeah. I think both of you are right. I think it that for all intents and purposes, Julian Fleming and Jackson Smith and Jigba will both be starters and whoever takes that first snap is just what play they're running and where they want Garrett to be on that snap. So if they want to move Garrett back outside, but still have three receivers, they might just throw Jackson Smith and Jigba in the slot and move Garrett outside. But then also you have the option of yeah, Julian Fleming just slides into the Chris Olave role and Garrett Wilson stays in the slot. So I think it just depends on, you know, what's your first series look like for Ryan Day play calling, but also who you're playing and where you want Garrett to be for most of that game and where he can take advantage of a mismatch. So, but both answers are, so yes, my answer is yes. I think it's going to be interesting next year. If, if Werner and, and Rucker, neither one come back. And I think that's up in the air, especially on, on record side um, conversations I've had. Like, I don't know if final decision had been made on that as of, as of yesterday. But if neither one of them came back, I'm curious how much 12 personnel Ohio State will play next year. I know that Ryan Day likes it, but I think one of the reasons they liked it was because they knew they had two really good tight ends. If I don't think they'll know that next year, depending on development and depending on transfers, whatever. So do they play less 12 personnel and just use the slot even more than they did this year? Yeah, I don't think if the record and Farrell aren't here, I mean, that wide receiver room is ridiculously deep. They'll just play more of those guys. For sure. I've, I think we've hinted at the four wide receiver. Look, they don't do it often, obviously. They never do it. They ne- yeah, never do it. But next year would be an interesting thing. They never did 12 personnel until a certain point, too. So if well, there's clearly a strength in the wide receiver room, 
I would I don't know if they're going to do it a lot, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did it a couple of times. 12 personnel is a very normal thing that like a lot of offenses are moving towards. And if you have a strength in the tight end room, a lot of coaches like to use 12. I mean, to go to like four wide receivers on anything other than like third and super long would be quite a jump. I, I don't, it would be interesting if they mix it in at all. Cause they don't mix it in at all. Well, they go empty. It's just cause they, they move their tight end and their running back out. Um, they do not put four wide receivers on the field together. Hardly. I mean, maybe ever. That would be a jump, but I just think they'll just go back to, I think Ryan does what the personnel dictates and they'll go back to more 11, you know, not two tight ends all that often. They really like to throw out of 12 when you can do it. Right. I mean, that's what, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what Alabama did all game. I mean, you go 12, you run some RPOs, you throw out of 12 personnel, you run out of 11 personnel and you kind of keep the defense on its heels. But I do think, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be curious. Um, So Steven, when you say moving Garrett around and like, are you, if, if that's like, if Jamison Williams stays like the Z and then mm-hmm. Garrett is like half X, half slot. And the other half there is Fleming. And then Garrett, when he's half in the slot, that half is Najigba. So it's like Williamson and Wilson are on the field most of the time. Mm-hmm. And then Smith Najigba and Fleming are in and out based on where Garrett lines up. That's what you're saying. Yeah. And then, out, and then, and then obviously, maybe G. Scott is the guy who's rotating with Damo on the other side. Right. And then with these freshmen, I mean, we'll see. Like freshmen That would be – that's year, so. next level. That's next yeah. – if they really would do that with Garrett, that really is moving him all over the field. You don't know what he's doing snap to snap. You're changing personnel groupings. And it's because Garrett Wilson can literally do anything. Mm-hmm. And you want to get him matched up on different types of people on different routes during the course of a game. That we have not seen. And if they do that, that is like next, that is the, that is top level of the video game with Garrett Wilson. If, if he and Ryan day go there, especially when you've got a first year starting quarterback who has not thrown the ball in a game yet. And also I'm not saying he's Devonte Smith. So let's, this is not hyperbolic, but they put Devonte Smith, especially when Jalen Waddle went down, they kind of put him everywhere to use that weapon as much as they could. Let's do one more survey question before we go to break. Which Buckeye deserved more snaps in the 2020 season? So which was the guy that you thought Ohio State underutilized or for developmental reasons maybe needed to get more attention than they did? Uh, My candidates were Zach Harrison, Ronnie Hickman, Justin Hilliard, Josh Proctor, Lathan Ransom, Jeremy Ruckert, the C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller combo. You can do that. do with that as you will. Uh, Ryan Watts. Or someone else had a write-in vote for that one. Who would you guys have picked deserve more snaps in the 2020 season? Josh Proctor. He should have just been the starting safety from the get-go. I think that's the right answer. I don't exactly. We don't know exactly everything that happened with Marcus Hooker, but that they, they went from him being the single high starting safety, like taking every snap early on, to not playing. Something was off there, and they kind of went the wrong way. And we saw how important we had a lot of discussions. Stephen was on top of this, like. Is Josh Proctor the slot? Is Josh Proctor a deep safety? Do you do both? What's better for him? What's more to help the team? And we wound up in a spot where Josh Proctor was like invaluable. We were trying to have Josh Proctor. We wish we could clone Josh Proctor so he could start at two positions. And at the beginning of the year, he was starting at no positions. So I don't, that's a disconnect. And I don't know. I get it. You evolve over a season, but we all thought Josh Proctor was going to be the guy at the end of last year. Then he wasn't. And then he wound up being the guy again. So why was it so bumpy in between? Sometimes it's on the player. Did he just not practice well? I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to put anything on Josh Proctor, but it's like something wasn't, wasn't there. 
or sometimes the coaches misread this stuff and they worry too much about this guy's a great practice player. So we're going to give him that edge. And then when like it's time on Saturday, it's like, Oh wait, no, that guy's not as good as the other guy. That was weird. It was just weird. And it got to where it needed to get to by the end of the year. But I do think it had an effect on the defense because in a shortened season, when you're trying to work it out, I think they gave themselves more to work out by sort of creating controversy over who's going to be playing a position when we all thought it would be obvious. And then it wasn't. And then it wound up there. It was weird. Yeah, I, I agree. I would, I picked Josh Proctor number one. And I, again, I just think it was, they were slow to make that decision for whatever reason as, as coaches, I think sometimes are, I think there's, there's some confirmation bias sometimes for like, you don't want to be the one to admit the mistake, but it, it, the other thing wasn't working and there was no reason not to make the switch earlier than they did. Although I, I'm still skeptical that that is the capital a answer there for next year. I think Josh Proctor has to get better. And I think they have to look closer, give some scrutiny to exactly what they're doing at the back end of that defense. But Josh Proctor finished only fifth among our text voters. There were two top candidates. The second one, number two guy, sort of along the same lines. It was Lathan Ransom. I think people saw him get on the field late in the season. They saw that he was making an impact at nickel corner in, in some instances and in other instances, I think he looked a loss the way a lot of people did against Alabama. But I think people were like, they look at him and I did, where did Ryan Watts finish here? He was down at the bottom. He only got seven votes, but I think both of those guys, it's like Ronnie Hickman got 37 votes. He finished actually one spot ahead of Proctor. I think on all those guys, it was like, why aren't we putting more younger guys on the field, giving them a chance to prove that they're better than these guys who aren't getting the job done. We talked about that obviously during the season, but I think that was a big part of where people were coming from on that. But the number one vote getter, was surprisingly to me, Justin Hilliard only because, and he got 33% of the vote, but it only to me, I think that's some respect for how he was playing late in the season. I just, I don't know that Baron Browning was not playing well early in the season. One of the, the reason Justin Hilliard played so well late in the season was because Baron Browning couldn't. Don't let Steven talk about this. He's just going to dig himself a deeper <laughs> hole. And I'm not, yeah. I'm not disagreeing. I mean, I think, I, I think that's where we are with Justin Hilliard. I, yeah. I, I, he's, he, he played very well when he played. That's not where my head was on this. I think, and we'll have more discussions about this on the off season. It is one of the overriding discussions at a program like Ohio state. We've had it a million times. We're going to have it forever. And the coaches always do it less than what we in the media and those in the fan base want them to do. They don't play the young guys as early as we want them to play. We had this fight with Ryan Shazier. When Ryan Shazier was a freshman in the crazy 2011 year. And we asked Luke Fickle every week, why don't you play Ryan Shazier more? And it was Ryan Shazier. That guy is as talented a defensive player as I've seen here in 16 years. And they, it took them forever to get him on the field. Von Bell, I said it all the time. So that's where we are with this. There's stuff that happens in practice that we don't see. And they know the guy's just not ready. No matter how talented he is, he's not ready to be out there. But sometimes when you see them putting out less talented, older guys, and that's definitely not working, you wonder why. Why didn't you give this young guy a shot earlier? So Lathan Ransom was in my head, right, about this. I think he's the guy that this would most apply to in this year. When you know the secondary is not good enough, when you know you've had some injuries, why didn't you get to Lathan Ransom earlier? Because guess what? You got to him to cover Jalen Waddle, man-to-man in the national championship game but you wouldn't put him on the field against Rutgers. Like what is taking so long? And I would love to just have honest conversations with coaches about what is that process like? Because I do think sometimes 
to their detriment, they are slow to get to the point they need to get to in that process. And this would have been the year maybe to not be so slow when you know that because of COVID, that guy might have to jump in and play and he found out 24 hours ago. So this would have been the year where whether it was the Rutgers game or the Nebraska game or even the Penn State game to just throw Lathan Ransom or Ryan Watts out there to see, even even if it's just for a series, just so they have some experience to fall back on just in case something like the Big Ten Championship happens and all of a sudden we're seeing a true freshman who hasn't played all year playing very important snaps at the end of a game. Yeah, I wouldn't have done it against Penn State, but I think there were other opportunities to do it. I, I, I do see the other side of it, though, where they're going to argue, well, this year of all years, we had even less to go on to determine whether or not a guy was ready for that, whether it was practice reps, whether it was spring reps, whether it was th- those late game reps. They had less of that information, less of that data to make that judgment by. So I, I see that argument, but only to a point. I think that, again, that they took it one step too far. They could have made that decision earlier. Let's take it, our last break here and come back and wrap up the year-end reader survey here on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're down to the last four questions here on Buckeye Talk. If you're not a tech subscriber yet, 614-350-3315. Thanks to everyone who joined us here for the live Zoom because you're all tech subscribers. We are going to keep pumping you know, news and updates and analysis and everything else at you. We're going to keep doing things like this. So we appreciate those of you who've joined up um, and we'd love to have more of you along. Uh, we ask you to rank which players are most poised for a 2020 one breakthrough actually said 2020 mistake but 2021 breakthrough and the candidates were julian fleming paris johnson matthew jones josh proctor lathan ransom jackson smith and jigba jameson williams and i'm forgetting someone on here that got made one list to make there i think it was ronnie hickman ronnie hickman being the eighth candidate uh who did you guys pick most poised for a 2021 breakthrough paris johnson for reasons i stated previously yeah, but for the sake of – I picked Paris Johnson too, but for the sake of having a conversation about somebody else, I think Jamison Williams needs to have a breakout year because it, it just this can't just be the we're going to throw the ball to Garrett Wilson 25 times a game, even though I mean, I'd love that. But somebody else needs to step up, and Jamo will be in year two of being a starter, and he can't just be the guy who's just on the field with the other two next year. He actually needs to maybe step up. It needs to be Garrett Wilson and J-Mo, even if it's to a lesser extent than what Chris Rolave was. That needs to be, he needs to be a factor in more than just three games this year. See, I wouldn't vote for him because I feel like if he's not a factor, they just won't play. Like he'll just lose his job and then it'll be somebody else. Like they have enough other dudes, right? That it's like, well, if it's not like it's J-Mo or bust, it's like, oh, it's, he's not, we'll do this other thing. You know, we'll, geez, Scott's ready. We'll do a little more with him or we'll, we'll play, like Buka as a freshman, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. Like yeah. I, I know what you're saying, but I feel like they're so deep there. Sometimes it's like, listen, man, like you've got to break out because like, we don't really have anybody else. They have a lot of options there. It'd be great if he does, but if he doesn't, okay. Somebody probably else. fair. It's probably just wide receiver put name here. Then it's probably a better way of putting it. Exactly. It, somebody needs to step up, but it doesn't have to be him. And actually our, our texters picked him eighth out of the, eight Ooh. candidates so uh paris johnson won that's who i would have voted for i was gonna guess did did julian fleming win julian fleming was third so paris johnson okay. was first jackson smith and jigba was second and i think that makes sense to me and it was actually fairly close it was 2.19 for pjj 2.61 for jsn and i thought that makes sense only because i thought of the receivers that we didn't see much from other than the main two he was the one that i thought 
maybe flashed the most positive things this year, then that makes him more poised for a breakthrough in 2020. And we still need to maybe see a little bit more from Julian Fleming, although none of them got to show a lot. It never, it never looked like it was too much for Jackson Smith, the jig, right. He felt like he looked like he was ready for whatever they asked him to do. And if they would have asked him to do a lot more, I think he would have done a lot more. It's just like the moment never. And this is not, and I think a lot of it, Steven, you've covered it. We've talked about it. A lot of it is what, where Julian and Julian Fleming and Jackson Smith and the Jigba were as recruits, where, what kind of programs they played in in high school. It just looked like the transition was easier. It's just, everyone remembers the Julian Fleming drop, but there were times where like, it felt like it was a little big for Julian Fleming, right? Even when mm-hmm. uh, there were a couple drops. Even the, the big Ten championship one. game wasn't, it, I mean, he had four catches, but it, nothing about it seemed like, okay, this is a turning point for Julian Fleming. It just seemed like, He's out there because he has no. They have nobody else to go to. Even I Justin Fields said that he was like, "I didn't really have a choice. I had to throw the ball, to Julian." Wasn't there a play against Alabama where, like, didn't they miss a fourth down throw to Julian in the back of the end yeah, zone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the back of the end zone, and he um, didn't sort really of settle down in the area. Yeah. He continued the route, and Justin missed him. And it was like, yeah, it wasn't just that Justin missed him. It was like there was a little disconnect between quarterback and receiver mm-hmm. in that moment. And again, it's a lot. I'm not saying Julian Fleming's bad by any stretch, but I'm I'm trying to give credit for Jackson Smith the Jigba that that dude just just like, okay, let's go. What do you need? I'm ready as a true freshman. Yeah, Paris Johnson and Jackson Smith and Jigba were the, the, the two clear winners here from our texters. Julian Fleming, third. Lathan Ransom, fourth. Josh Proctor, fifth. Ronnie Hickman, sixth. Matthew Jones, seventh. Jameson Williams, eighth. And again, I think a lot of that is just based on the guys who actually got on the field. I thought it was interesting slipping Josh Proctor in there because I feel like we've been he's been poised for a breakthrough for this is like the third year in a row where people thought he was poised for a breakthrough and uh, he's got one more shot at it. So we'll see what happens. Uh, which 2020 senior do you most wish the Buckeyes could or will keep for 2021? Now, since this went out before we found out Thayer Munford was coming back, there's obviously some other people out there. Marcus Williamson has already announced he wants to come back. Haskell Garrett said that he might come back. There obviously are some other, I mean, any, any of these guys could. A lot of the seniors haven't yet, other than, I guess, Drew Chrisman. And Jonathan Cooper said he it, isn't coming back but most of these guys, and Justin Hillier basically was asked if he wants to do a seventh year and, and kind of laughed it off so most of those guys aren't coming back but the other candidates uh Jonathan Cooper Luke Farrell Haskell Garrett Justin Hilliard Thayer Munford Trey Sermon Pete Werner or uh Tough Borland or another option and who did you guys pick as the senior Ohio State fans should most want to come back for 2021 I picked Luke Farrell but obviously I understand the Haskell Garrett argument I just think that there is a chance that they might be relying on a guy who has never taken any meaningful snaps at tight end and Kate Stover in a true freshman at tight end next year, while they could also bring, or they could be bringing back the exact same two tight ends and be able to do some of the things they did this year as well. So that's, it could be a major drop off. So having him and Rucker come back would be big for this team. I picked Haskell Garrett. I, I, I agree with that. I agree with the Farrell argument. I still Again, just all speculation, like Jake Hausman intrigues me a little bit of like, okay, Farrell's done it. If Farrell's like, I've done my thing. I've played a lot. I'm a senior. I'm gone. Ruckert's going to the NFL. And like Jake Hausman is kind of like a guy. It's like, well, he hasn't gotten to be the guy yet, but I think he would be the guy next year at tight end. Or at least if they do want to run 12 at all, it'd be Hausman and Cade Stover. Right. So, I mean, like, I, I wonder about that, but I think Haskell Garrett fits this in a lot of ways of he was a big time recruit. You know, it was top 150 national recruit didn't really do all that much the first couple first three years. And then it's like all American level as in year four, 
But like, could he do that again? And if, you know, just what he's been through, I think it would be interesting. But part of me wants to answer like nobody. It's just like not the natural order of things. If you're a senior and like your eligibility is up, like you should go on because it's time for the guys behind you to have their shot. So part of me is like no answer because it's not how it's supposed to work. I also picked Haskell Garrett and he was the landslide winner, got 298 out of 445, 67% of the vote. I just think, and I, I, I hear what Steven's saying. I just feel like, and, and maybe this is naive of me, but defensive tackle to me just seems like such a more essential position for Ohio state than tight end does. And I think they can find guys to do the blocking that the tight ends do to some extent. I'm not trying to shirk what, what they did this year because they were all excellent. He and he and Rucker were both excellent at blocking, but um, I, I think they need someone in the middle of this defense more. If Garrett and Togi both were to leave, that would be, I think more significant than even Farrell and Ruckert both leaving. Uh, Trace Sermon finished second, actually, 13% of the vote, which I thought was an interesting pick, uh, mostly because everyone's pretty excited about what they have coming in at running back next year, maybe more than any other position, right? No offense to people who voted for Trey Sermon. That's wrong. The Trey coming in next year is a lot better. Yeah. So, <laughs> that may it's be that true. Simple. Um, it's that simple. Quick shout out though. Somebody named Kirk Herbstreak in the chat is saying it's Haskell. Guy. Haskell Garrett. I just want to add it real quick. So Garrett and Antoine Jackson are seniors. If Togi goes, it's like the tackles who are back next year are Jaron Cage, Teron Vincent, and like guys who have never played. So right. like that's yeah. that's part of the thing. Like a tackle is like if Garrett and Togi are both gone, it's like, okay, Teron Vincent, he's ready. And then like, I don't know. It might be Mike Hall as a true freshman. Like, I don't – I'm not sure anybody knows. Yeah. Or it might be a grad transfer because, like, it is not obvious. And Haskell Garrett, as much as, like, Haskell Garrett, like, sort of came out of nowhere, it's like he really didn't. He was, like, a top 50 national right. recruit and was mm-hmm. just – like, I just don't know what tackle looks like without those two. Well, more than that, it was – I mean, we were looking at this last year going into the season and having some concern or just questioning, like, is this enough at defensive tackle? I was certainly questioning it. And, but both Garrett and Togia had been rotational guys before. And if both of those guys leave and Antoine Jackson leaves, then other than cage, you have like no, even rotational guys that are going to, you're going to be counting on the play in the middle of that defense, where by the way, you're also replacing all three restarting linebackers, where by the way, you're also losing Jonathan Cooper. I mean, it, it, it starts to pile up big. So, um, but I, I think there's a decent chance that Haskell Garrett returns. I think there's a decent chance that Tommy Togia returns. I don't have specific, intel from either of those guys but i think it's it, it could work out well for ohio state on both those counts we'll see um the other guys pete werner was third justin hilliard was fourth thayer munford was fifth tough borland only got two votes out of 445 but i thought that was kind of interesting but i thought that was interesting compared to like when we asked to pick defensive mvp he finished like fifth so i just i don't know i thought that was an interesting you thought more people uh, should want tough yeah. borland to return come on I don't, Honestly, I'm, not saying, I'm, more, I'm just saying based I'm, on their votes, I was surprised at no. the discrepancy there. I'm shocked linebackers got any any votes. Honestly, I think people just want to see some new faces at linebacker. So I'm I'm surprised Hilliard and Warner got the votes they did. So and, and Browning even got a few votes. I mean, I think people are clearly have a a, a, a great affection for Justin Hilliard, and I think people respected the job that Pete Warner did this year and they know that he's a guy that they could move him to multiple spots depending on where they would need him next year so i don't know if that factored into their decision we've gone an hour and 40 minutes and i'm not i'm the last guy to complain not complain but to bring up the fact of going long i think we've given people a lot of good stuff to talk about 
and I think we should stop. You want to hold these for the next pod? I think we can have an assistant coach pod. I think we've, we've gone more than an hour and a half and I would like to have a nice deep discussion. And these are two really good ways, Nathan, for us to get into it because we would talk about performance this year and expectations next year. And as much as we talk about assistant coaches and their value on this podcast, I don't want to shortchange this discussion. Okay. Well, there was a, there was a clear winner to both of these and it was not the person I think I would have voted for on either one. So I'm, I'm, I'm eager to have this discussion and I'm eager to find out what you guys thought. So I think that wraps it up. Let, let me jump in here real quick with something then. So uh, a little while ago, we asked people on this podcast, I even cut like a little commercial for it, to do a survey for us about your listening habits to Buckeye Talk. And I just want to announce that we did have a, a gift card winner that we said, and I haven't informed this person yet, so I've got to email him, but I'm also going to tell him on this podcast that Pete Horston. Uh, was the winner of the $100 gift card for filling out the podcast survey. And I'm just going to tell you this stuff. And by the way, if you caught it, most of the time when I talk about uh, like the survey and stuff, I try not to give the totals because like we like to keep it a little bit of a secret how many uh, tech subscribers we have. And Nathan's just like, Nathan was giving you the full, the full hearty numbers there. So you get some sense. That's not even, that's not even close to how many tech subscribers we have when he's talking about we had 445 people respond to a survey. But we have a really core audience here of listeners to this podcast and our tech subscribers. And I'm not only talking to tech subscribers, I'm talking to everybody in this Zoom room and I'm talking to everybody who listens to Buckeye Talk on any kind of regular basis. And I just want to tell you how grateful we are because once again, people at the top levels of our company are having discussions about the journalism business and how we can go about it and how we can survive and how we can thrive and how we can keep serving an audience and how we can connect with an audience and how we are trying to figure all this out in this crazy journalism landscape. And the survey showed us the bottom line of this. And I said this to my boss who is the greatest boss in the world, but I've been telling this, I said, the survey didn't tell us anything that I didn't know about this audience. And I could have told the people in charge this. I've, and I have told them this over the years. And now we have data to back it up. This audience is as connected, is as loyal, is as engaged as any audience for anything that anybody in our company does. Writing, texting, podcasting, the Buckeye Talk audience leads the way. And what you guys have done for us and what you guys have, how you have connected with us and how you engage with us has the people in New York City and New Jersey who run our company, they have meetings about Buckeye talk because they want to duplicate what we do, what you do for us. That is how we survive as a company. So that is how grateful we are to have you guys with us on this. So we, I want to make sure that we emphasize this at the end of this crazy season, because we enjoy being along on the ride for this and that you make it fun for us to cover this team, but you don't only make it fun for us to cover this team, like you make it possible for us to keep doing this. So they, we had a time when we didn't know what we were doing with podcasts at our company. A couple of years ago, we didn't know. And we just started Buckeye Talk anyway. We didn't care if anybody knew. And we just sat in a car and yelled into a cell phone and did a podcast. And we have come a long way from that. And there are people listening to this who have been here every step of the way, but whether you're new, whether you came in halfway or whether you just started, we 
want to end this season by saying thank you. We're going to keep trying to get better. Some things with this podcast might evolve. We have to evolve as a company. We have to evolve and try to figure out what we can do to survive in journalism. But Buckeye Talk is helping to show our entire company how to do it because you guys are awesome. So I don't, I don't want to get like teary about this, but like I always get fried at the end of football season. Nathan and Steven, are you fried by the end of the year? I'm an emotional wreck. I cannot function as a human being by the end of football season because you go so hard. And then when I get like that, then I get emotional. But the connection with you guys is something that we value so much. And so thank you. If these words are hitting your ears, thank you because you allow us to do what we do. Yeah, uh, agree with that pretty strongly. That um, and and it's it's actually having this audience, having this. I, I hate the word audience, even having this like connection with everybody helps keep us engaged through once the season ends, right? Like, I we need to be back on our on our portal every day, checking to have conversations with you guys, and we've been trying to do that. So we appreciate you all being here again. Um, I hope we do this again soon. I hope we keep this going uh, to some extent, probably not as frequently as it did during the season, but I think that we like this format. We think you guys like this format and it's been a lot of fun. So uh, let, me, let me jump in one more time. Let's commit to this. Let's commit to two Zooms a month minimum. I think that's fair. Okay. Yeah, I think that's I'm, fair. I'm all for it. Uh, and by commit, I mean like really, really try hard as long as we don't have a bunch of people on vacation. Right. I think that is every two weeks we can check in and do this kind of thing. And I just want to do it. I think starting next week, guys, Nathan, we've talked about this. I think we might move to a Tuesday through Saturday podcast schedule. So I think that the next time you hear from us might be a podcast that comes out on Tuesday morning. So we're working that out. We have a podcast meeting coming up. We're not going anywhere, but we might adjust a little bit now that we hit the offseason. That sort of sounds like where we might be, Nathan, right? Yeah, I was going to say that I think we're going to keep up five days a week in some format. It might change slightly. There might be some weeks because this is starts becoming a time of the year where we try to take a chunk here and there to be off. So the the, the personnel will get jumbled a little bit here. But And Steven's obviously got a lot of basketball stuff going on, too, to, to cover this team down the home stretch. So that'll bounce a little bit. 30 seconds to that. Now that I'm not telling waiting yeah. you off to ask. Let's tease him because I do think we're going to open up some times to have – either or both basketball segments on a podcast or a separate basketball podcast. Like, Hey, the Thursday podcast is going to be about basketball. Mm -hmm. I think that'll happen sometimes. And also we're going to get back Nathan and Steven, you guys have done them in the past, but recruiting podcasts where maybe there are some recruits recruits to get on and that kind of thing. So we will vary the format a little bit, but why don't you drop 30 seconds of basketball talk to tease the people who are interested in that? Okay. So here's the deal. That was a big win today. Beating Illinois. It's Saturday is when we're recording this. They beat Illinois 87 and 81. That's a pretty big win for a team who, I think there's, I have been texting this to Texas all week. We've been asking what, what I think their ceiling is. I think their ceiling is maybe elite eight just based on how this roster is built. It's not completely Caleb Wesson, or we don't know what we're doing offensively. They've got EJ Liddell who had a bad game against Northwestern and then bounced back today with a career high 26 points. Justice suing can do a lot of different things for you. He doesn't necessarily have to score. He can play make, he can get to the free throw line. He can do a lot of different things. Dwayne Washington, when he's playing efficient and not shooting bad shots and getting yelled at by Chris Holtman, he's a pretty good player. 15 points per game this year. Michi Johnson is coming along, and that's your future starting point guard. This year he's going to learn, but next year he's going to be – that's your future right there. And then along with those other two recruits in the 2021 class who will be here in June. But this team, it's versatile. They, they don't have a post presence, no, but they've got enough going on on the perimeter where they can put up points. They don't have to rely on one guy, and then they defend solidly. 
this team, if they if things start clicking, and we'll see when they play Iowa and they play Michigan because those in Wisconsin, those are the other really good teams in the Big Ten. But I do think that if this team can get things cooking, get the ball rolling a little bit, they can make a run at the Elite Eight. Sounds you know good. how they have like at a factory, they'll have those signs up that say um, days since time loss incident or whatever, and it's got like a little flip card. So now we've yeah. got one. We can turn over the one like podcast, live podcasts since an obscene interruption. Oh, but oh, but you heard the one today, right? Were you on for the one today? No. No. Wait, oh, what? you missed it. I think it was before you guys came in. Before we went started recording, that guy was back in here and said it again, and I had to remove him. <sighs> I don't know. It's the same guy. And he said it again. And he said more words. He said more words. He said the whole thing. It's like, we're making him famous. I don't know what to do. I have to report him to the zoom gods. It's like a thing now. I don't have to like identify him. And yeah. So no. So un unflip that board, erase the board. We're still at zero. Well, technically recorded. Yeah. Technically we did have the podcast without that since that happened before, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's he was back. We got to get him out of here. Rough. Hey, real All quick, right. Chuck Chuckster's had his hand up here to finish us off. So we'll let Chuckster come in and uh, and get us out of here. Hey, just a big thank you guys, but more than anything, shameless plug for uh, Texas high school football championship tonight. Uh, Austin yep. Westlake's playing a a team Southlake Carroll with some kid named Quinn Ewers at quarterback. So <laughs> it should be an interesting game if you guys can tune in via the internet. Uh, I don't know how much you followed it, but also Westlake has scored 785 points this year. They've only given up 72. So the Southlake offense certainly has their, uh, it's going to be tough for them. And then just another storyline, they're calling it the Dodge Bowl. Todd Dodge, who used to coach at Southlake Carroll, four state championships, is now at Austin Westlake. And his son coaches mm-hmm. Southlake Carroll, who's already won a state championship. So oh, that's crazy. a lot of underlying storylines. But anyhow, Quinn Ewers, Hopefully we'll put on a show tonight. I think the game starts uh, seven central. Thank you let, guys. Chuckster, let us know if there's any reports of uh, Steve Sarkeesian circling yeah. the field in a chopper. <laughs> I might take him out myself. Yeah. <laughs> no, we are not. I will say, no, yeah, just my, take just just take him out of the stadium and maybe okay. go have a cold one. Yeah. Okay. Riley oh, yeah. dodges out. Riley <laughs> Riley Dodge and I have been playing phone tag for the last three or four days here. So, <laughs> but yeah, okay. yeah. Tune into that. That's Watch a good your one. Future, your, maybe your future starting quarterback. All right, Chuckster. Thanks for that. All right, Nathan, take us home. And that's it. Thanks everybody for joining us for Doug Lee Maurice for Stephen Means. I'm Nathan Barrett. And that was Buckeye talk. Buckeye talk.